Stand with me. We're going to read a short psalm that is our uh, kind of a, well, it's our banner text. I'm just going to put it that way, our banner text this morning. We're going to be a little bit all over the place. This is a topical message, but this message, this, this text right here really encapsulates the value of unity, and the sermon title this morning is Church Membership by the Book, Be Unifying, okay? So this is about your membership, and this is about unity. Let's read Psalms 133. This is a song of degrees of David. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious ointment upon the, be- um, upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard that went down to the skirts of his garments. And as the dew of Hermon, and as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for your word and for beautiful uh, uh, psalms like these, Lord, that that aren't just beautiful in their form and, and, and how they're expressed and translated into English for us, but Lord, that they're beautiful in the words and the, the meaning behind these words that you're describing. Lord, it's, it's showing us the value of unity in our life and especially in our church. God, I pray you'll be with me. I pray this message will be your message, but not mine. I pray that you'll be glorified today, and we pray that you'll help us to continue to grow to be the church you'd call us to be. In Christ's name I pray, amen. You may be seated. We are going through a series, a six-message series on church membership. And of course, if you weren't here last week, uh, the title, the type, I'm going to grab a book here, I'm sorry. Um, the sermon series is called Church Membership by the Book. We've talked about looking to the book. We've talked about uh, how important the book is to us. And uh, when, of course, the book we're talking about is the Bible. And this <coughs> psalm is a beautiful psalm. It's very descriptive. And you already know the subject matter is unity. David, in in writing this, he describes how wonderful unity can be. And he uses two illustrations. Uh, You probably can look down and see them jump off the page for you right first. The first one is about uh, oil, which is a little odd for us in uh, 21st century America, being Oil poured on the head of the high priest and flowing down into his beard. Uh, how many of y'all, though, have a beard? Oh, man, not a lot of guys in here with beards. But I have a beard, and you know what I enjoy? A good beard oil. I put on beard oil this morning. I don't have a lot of beard. I used to grow my beard a little bigger and heavier. Uh, but, but you know what's nice about putting beard oil on your beard? Come on, y'all got to wake up and engage a little bit, all right? It's, it softens it, okay? Beards can be a little prickly. My kids, whenever I hug and love on them, they're like, Dad, your beard is poking me. Yeah, it softens the beard a little bit. But you know what? Good beard oil smells good. It gives you peace and makes you feel good, like, you're, like there's something special. I, I enjoy a good beard oil, and you're probably thinking, Brother Deer, and quit talking about your beard oil, you're weirding me out. But there's a second illustration here, and it talks about the dew on Mount Hermon. Now, 
Uh, I'm not any great uh, 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 geographist. I don't know. Anyway, I don't know the the geography of Israel well enough uh, to be able to describe this, so I had to look it up. The Mount Hermon, though, is north of Jerusalem, about 100 or 120 miles, something like that. And uh, Mount Hermon is a pretty big mountain. As I understand it, it stands about 9,000 feet tall. And you get into mountains that are that tall, what do they usually have on the top? Snow, right? Snow. And so, and, and, and that, that moisture, that source, that source of moisture on top of that mountain, well, guess what happens with that snow? It evaporates and it provides dew onto the grounds and lands below it. Not only that, uh, uh, Mount Hermon and the ice caps of Mount Hermon are a, a source of water or were a source of water for the Jordan River. And so what that is, should tell us is that unity is nourishing. It's nourishing. Unity is a, is a wonderful and desperately important thing in every single church. There's a wonderful commentator, A.W. Uh, Tozer. He wrote a book called The Pursuit of God, and in it he He said this, he said, Has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically tuned to each other? They are of one accord by being tuned not to each other, but to another standard to which each one must individually bow. So 100 worshipers, we run about 100 on Sunday morning on a fairly regular basis, 100 worshipers meeting together, each one looking away to Christ and in heart nearer to each other, are in heart nearer to each other than they could possibly be were they to become unity conscious and their eyes away and turn their eyes away from God to strive for closer fellowship. What is he talking about there? He's saying for us to have unity, we're going to have to keep our eyes on the Lord. Unity is important. In church membership, last week we talked about being a functional member. So I want to talk a little bit about being a unified member, a unifying member. On the back of your, of your bulletin, we're going to start doing this. There is a place for you to take some notes. And, so, uh, and you can see where we're going to be uh, spending a little bit of our time in the Bible. First, I want to talk to you about the heart of unity. The heart of unity, and unity comes from an attitude of love. In Ephesians 1, verses 15 and 16, Paul uh, was writing, you know, I love chapter 1 of Ephesians, you already know this, and and the first 14 verses are just, I mean, just packed uh, to the gills with truth and and just awe-inspiring doctrine, but in verses 15, he changes course a little bit, and listen what he says. He says, wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Why was it saying in verse 16, did he not cease to to give thanks for this church at Ephesus. Why? Because of their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and the love that they have between one another, between all saints. The the heart of unity comes from an attitude of love. Listen, if we're going to be a church that's unified, we're going to have to root ourselves in love for one another. Not only this, but love must be pursued. Pursued. 
If you turn uh, to Ephesians 4, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, I says, uh, Paul writes, I therefore, the prisoner of God of the Lord, beseech you, listen to these words. Uh, we don't use the word beseech often. Anybody want to tell us what that word means? Beseech? He's begging. I'm begging you guys. I'm begging you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're wherewith you are called. He uses the word vocation. He's not talking about occupation. He's talking about a calling. Okay? Uh, As a pastor, this is not a job for me. This is a calling. Uh, uh, Whenever you're a member of a church, that's a calling. Uh, You're not, you're not, I'm not asking you to be functional members because it's your job. It's because God has called you. And so he says, I'm begging you that you, work, that you walk worthy of the calling wherewith you are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. There's that love again. And then verse 3, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. But this passage, especially right in the center of it, verse 3 says that unity must be pursued. A few years ago, uh, gosh, over 20 years ago, I was sitting in a church service at Northeast Baptist Church in South Lake, Texas. I was sitting on the, uh, if you're facing the, the, the podium, I was sitting on, on the right side of the auditorium. I was sitting uh, in a chair next to my uh, friend at the time, Brandon Little, who we grew up together. And, and uh, I was in church, and there had been this couple visiting our church that I didn't really know well, and, uh, but they had a few daughters their name was Terry and Susan Carter, and uh, they had been bringing their daughters. They were looking for a new church. In fact, they had known people in our church for a long time from a previous, actually a previous church that we had been a part of, and, uh, and these two churches, that one that they had been a part of and one that I grew up in, were actually sister churches being planted out of the same root church, Friendship Baptist Church, and, and, uh, and they had been visiting with their two younger daughters, and, and uh, then that Sunday, though, another daughter was there. A daughter who didn't want to be there. She wanted to go to Metropolitan Baptist Church, which is another sister church of ours uh, that Bruce Martin, who's going to be here in January, is sent out of. And, and, um, but her car was broke down. And so she sat on the back row on the other side of the auditorium. And when we were having the song service, you know, you I'm, I'm a pretty easily distracted fellow, and so I'm just looking around and you know, seeing what's going on and who's here. And I look back there, and there's this redheaded girl back there. And then suddenly, my whole day was about something completely different. I needed to meet this redheaded daughter, that, this couple that hadn't, they'd been visiting our church, but they never brought this girl with them before. Who is she? And I remember sitting during the service, pastors preaching. I have no idea what he preached about. I was not concerned with that at all. There was this redheaded girl I needed to talk to. And so at the end of the service, I you know, mustered up myself and 
whatever lame plan I had, I was going to go through with it. And so I walked back there and I'm smiling and I, I, I walked right up, you know, it's on the back row. So I'm facing the, her across the row from the back seats. And, and, and I, 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 I say, Hey, my, my name is Darren Simpson. I, uh, I'm glad you're here today. Um, what's your name? And she did not look at me. She picked up her stuff and walked away from me. You know what I decided to do? I decided to pursue her. I found out that her parents were going to be going to lunch with some other friends of mine at that church. They were going to go to Poncho's Mexican Buffet. And so I went to one of my other buddies and I said, hey man, where are we going to eat? He goes, I think we want to go to Chili's. I said, no, we want to go to Poncho's. Can we go to Poncho's? We went to Poncho's. Terry and Susan Carter are my parents-in-laws because I pursued this cute little redhead until she, wouldn't, she couldn't get away from me. Listen, unity is something that we're to pursue. Whenever it seems to escape us, we're not to give up. We're not to say, well, that was too hard or that didn't work out. I guess we'll just have to be uh, mad at each other. No, it's to be pursued. Verse 3 is saying we should not give up. We should continue to pursue. Uh, Look at the strong language Paul uses, endeavoring. Oh, man. That means we should pursue eagerly, as eagerly as Darren Simpson pursued Melissa Carter on that Sunday morning to Poncho's Mexican Buffet that gave me indigestion. It was worth it. We should eagerly pursue unity in our church, in our relationships with one another. Endeavoring, strong language, endeavoring to keep the unity. Uh, I think maybe uh, that word keep should tell us something about unity. It's not something that we have created. Listen, unity is not something that we create in our church. It's something that Jesus Christ has established as part of his church. And it's our job to maintain it. Let me tell you, it's easy to stay unified when you're not really doing much for the Lord. But if it's our heart and our desire to grow this church and to grow its reach and to to share the gospel, listen, we're going to face Periods of time where there's the possibility of disunity breaking up in our church, showing up, but we are to pursue it. We're to chase after unity. We're to do the work. We're supposed to root ourselves in love. Uh, Colossians 3.14, another wonderful uh, uh, book. Goodness, the whole book of Colossians is a wonderful book. Colossians 3.14 says, and above all, it's Paul again writing to another church, Listen to what he says. He says, above all. So if he's talking about, if he's been listing some things here, and then he says, above all, what do you think he means as as far as the importance of what he's about to say? Man, it is very important. It is of highest import that you listen. He says, and above all, put on charity. He's saying, above all, show love one for another. Let that rule your relationships and and the ministry that takes place as a church. And then he says, which is the bond of perfectness. 
Paul was so intent that love should reign in church membership and in church relationships that it should be above all. That bond of perfectness has also been translated as perfect harmony. We should put on unity. The day that I fell in love with Melissa, and if you ever question that you could fall in love in a Poncho's Mexican buffet, let me tell you, it can happen. Suddenly I put on that love for her and I was going to pursue her to the ends of the world until I had no hope. The day that we put on rings and said we were going to stay married, I put on a new divine relationship of her husband that I'm going to live by God's strength and my own that I can give to that picture to the end of my days. Unity, let me, let me tell you this. Let me just try to sum up this particular idea. Unity is a divine responsibility of every church member. Unity is a divine responsibility. As much as it is now because of my vows I've made with my wife, my divine responsibility to be a wonderful husband and loving, supportive man to her, it is my divine responsibility to be a unifying member of our church. You know, it makes sense that once we understand how important unity is to the church, that we should understand how Unity can be destroyed in the church. You'll see on the back of the bulletin, the second point is the danger of a wagging tongue. Uh, I like the sound of that. I don't know if that makes a whole lot of sense to you, but it ended up in my uh, 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 message this way. James, turn to James chapter 3 though. How many of y'all know what I mean by wagging tongue? Ooh. Wagging tongue is a, is a dangerous thing. While you turn there, let me share with you Romans chapter, 20, uh, chapter 1. Paul gives this huge list of evil deeds. He says in verse 29, "...being fulfilled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate." Deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents without understanding, covenant breakers without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful. He lists this really wordy list of evil deeds, and right dead in the center are these two things called whisperers and backbiters. Two things that far too often have shown up in church. And have you ever been part of a church that that took place in? It is ugly. It is awful. If you're, especially if you're on the receiving end of that, it's awful. It's terrible. Whisperers and backbiters are right in the center of this list. Whisperers would be like gossips talking behind people's backs. Backbiters, that'd be gossips who speak openly against someone or against the church as a whole. And so how does that how is how dangerous is this? What's the danger of a wagging tongue? We'll look in James chapter 3 and verse 1. 
James writes, my brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation, for in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man, but also, but able also to bridle the whole body. Behold, we put bits in the horses' mouths, that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Behold also the ships, which, though they be so great, and are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. Verse 5, even so, the tongue is a little member, and boasteth great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. And the tongue is a fire. It is a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members that it defileth the whole body and setteth on fire the course of nature, and it is set on a fire from hell. James, we've talked about James before. I love James because he doesn't pull any punches and he doesn't do it here either. James says what everybody knows, that the tongue can destroy to the uttermost. When you talk about a little fire, he says, behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. Have you ever seen a forest fire? I've never, I've never seen with my eyes a forest fire. I've seen uh, the... I've seen a burn, a controlled burn taking place and smoke filling the sky. But you know, uh, a, a forest fire can start with just the smallest little remnant of ember. I mean, it could be nothing. Somebody could smoke a cigarette, flick it out their window, and suddenly thousands upon thousands of acres are completely destroyed and houses and families and lives torn apart because of just a little bit of fire. What he's describing is what the tongue can do to a church or to a relationship or to your life. It can destroy everything in it. It's powerful. The amplified uh, uh, translation, uh, I like to amplify it every now and again. Verse 6, it says, and the tongue is a fire. The tongue is a world of wickedness set among our members, contaminating and depraving the whole body and setting on fire the wheel of birth, the cycle of man's nature being itself ignited by hell. These are strong words. He's, here, James is metaphorically equating the tongue directly with a fire. We're talking about fire, so destructive. He's just portrayed how destructive a fire can be, spreading rapidly, destroying everything in its path. Church uh, 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 Chuck Swindoll had some uh, interesting words I thought I'd share about uh, where Paul or where James wrote word, "world of iniquity." These are harsh words, he says. James is saying that the full range of iniquity finds an outlet through the tongue. Think about that. It's virtually impossible to seethe with anger without expressing our, wor- our rage in words. Bitterness sours our speech. Pride prattles on and on. Hate explodes from the lips. The tongue can suddenly turn an otherwise gentle person into a monster. It is a world of iniquity. There's real danger in a wagging tongue. I don't don't know how much this exists in our church. I don't believe it really is a big problem for us, but I know it easily can quickly become a problem. It can easily uh, go from, well, I'm praying for somebody to, hey, let me show you, let me tell you what this person did and how you should pray for them. 
1 Peter 3. Verse 10, 11, he says, For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they may speak no guile. Let him eschew evil or avoid or, or, or keep away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Controlling your tongue is a divine responsibility in church. It is our divine responsibility to control the thoughts that escape our lips. There's no one else who has control over it but you and me. God expects us to control what we say. We see unity comes from an attitude of love that's the heart of unity. We talked a little bit about the danger of a wagging tongue. Let's talk about the power of forgiveness. Colossians chapter 3. We've already spent a little bit of time in this passage. Let's continue. Verse 12, he says, Put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, and long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. And the, let peace of God, let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also you're called in one body, and be ye thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord, and whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Forbearing one another, forgiving one another, even as Christ forgave you. How many of you all have experienced the forgiveness of Jesus Christ in your life? Yes. Did it, did it work any kind of change for you? Let me ask, just, uh, just polling a little bit, on a scale from 1 to 10, how great was that change? Yeah, it was. If it wasn't 10, then you're not paying attention to what God has done for you. It's changed eternity for you. Jesus' forgiveness. Now, not only has he forgiven you, you now have peace with him. Peace with a holy and righteous creator. Peace with the God of judgment and wrath. Peace with a God who has every excuse and reason to condemn you to eternity in hell this very second. Without mercy you now have peace with him. I would say that forgiveness will work a pretty awesome work in any relationship. And in a church, church members, if there's any unforgiveness in your heart, uh, there's another passage in Matthew chapter 6. Jesus says, and if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But then in verse 15, he says this. He says, but if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. 
Now, is that saying that if you hold bitterness in your heart, then suddenly you're going to lose your salvation? No. But it's going to damage your relationship with God until you fix it in your heart. Until you, until you fix it in your heart that you're not going to hold bitterness and grudges and anger towards another uh, brother in Christ or towards anybody for that matter. Listen, we're to forgive as Christ has forgiven us. Uh, I, I would even go far as to say it is your divine responsibility to forgive. How many times? How many times can I put up with this garbage that this guy keeps spewing onto me? Well, Jesus had words about that too. Matthew chapter 18, verse 22. He said unto them, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until 70 times seven. You guys that can do math can figure out what that means pretty quick at 490 times. So once you, what you need to do is get a notebook. And every time you forgive that person, you're supposed to make a tally, right? No. Is that what Jesus was saying? Make a tally mark. And when you get to 490, then you can, just, you can just write that guy off and hate him for the rest of your life. Is that what he's saying? No. Jesus is using uh, 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 hyperbole to say, listen, forgive him every single time. I, I think Jesus, uh, we, could, we could put these two passages together and we could go, you know, Jesus says, forgive him uh, seven times 70 every single time because you know what? I forgive you every single time. I forgive you every single time you screw up. Every single time you, you, you blame your sin on, on a, a mistake. You give me some lame excuse. Darren, I forgive you every single time. We're to forgive every single time. The power of forgiveness is that it will bring unity. It is our divine responsibility to be unifying members. It's our divine responsibility uh, to, to control our tongue. And it is our divine responsibility to maintain our relationship with God and rightness by forgiving one another. If you've ever been in a church that had bitterness and anger, uh, I wish I could say that's never been part of my experience, but it has. It's ugly. It's heartbreaking. It's some of the hardest things I've ever seen my parents or any pastor or even myself to have gone through. Hurt? My goodness, people, people that... I counted as family members betraying each other. It's heartbreaking. It's horrible. And, and then what happens so many times is that family breaks up. These people go this way and these people go that way. But you know what? The hurt continues until somebody says, you know what? Jesus forgave me every time. Jesus Praise Jesus. He, doesn't, he hasn't come back to earth to go around and tell everybody what a dirtbag I am. What a sinful, awful person I can be. Jesus has forgiven me. And he loves me. And I would encourage every one of you that's ever been a part of a church like that, or maybe if it's taking place in your life somewhere, if it's taking place in this church, I, don't, I pray that it's not, and I don't think it is. Praise God. But let me encourage you. Forgiveness is a divine responsibility. And the longer you hold on to that bitterness and that anger and that, 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 uh, that uh, uh, hurt, it will destroy you. It will hurt your relationship with God. Be unifying. There's a peanut. How many of y'all like peanuts? 
the cartoons peanuts. Not peanuts. I like peanuts too. But how many of y'all like the cartoon peanuts, right? Anybody watch, uh, uh, it's the, the Great Pumpkin Charlie Brown this last, yeah, last week. I didn't, we didn't watch it this year, but we like to watch that. It's funny um, and pretty innocent stuff. Peanuts is uh, pretty, pretty revealing sometimes. And uh, Peanuts, there's a Peanuts cartoon where Lucy demanded that Linus change the TV channel. And if, and whenever she demanded this, she threatened him with her fist if he didn't. And Linus said, he said, what makes you think we can, you can walk right in here and take over? And Lucy said, these five fingers. Individually, they're not, they're nothing. But when I curl them together into a single unit, they form a weapon that is terrible to behold. I remember in one of these other uh, uh, movies, it may have been, oh no, it was in the Christmas one. It's, a, Char, it's Christmas time, Charlie Brown. Linus asked her a similar question. Why should I do that? I'll give you five reasons. One, two, three, four, five. And he goes, those are good reasons. In this cartoon, Linus asked, which channel do you want? And turning away, he looks at his fingers and says, why can't you guys get organized like that? Let me tell you, a church that could be unified, <laughs> there's some things that the Bible says about the church that are terrible to behold, that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Let me tell you, when we're together in doing the Lord's work, we are a force to be reckoned with. I'm talking about this church. Uh, praise God, our church is together in mission work, and we support missions uh, uh, generously. We support these guys in Panama who are on the front lines of mission work and, and, and now facing a really difficult circumstances for their own ministries, not only circumstances for their ministries, but for uh, their own lives. Cristobal Giannis uh, lives on land that could be taken away from him by a mining country now, or a mining company. These guys are on the front line, and we support them. Praise God, we support them generously. We support 28 missionaries in total. We should be supporting more, and maybe that's up to me to help y'all Get us get there to do that. But when we're together, you know, when we decide we're going to get together and we're going to reach this community, I fully believe that we are going to be a force to be reckoned with. Now, does that mean that suddenly these walls are going to be bursting at the scenes and, and we're not, everybody's going to have, it's only going to be standing room only and we're going to have to start having multiple services or anything like that? Why? Well, I hope not. Because uh, I, I don't know that I can mess up two sermons in a row uh, as well as I do. But uh, no, I think what's going to happen is, is God's going to set us on fire for doing the Lord's work, and we're going to be closer to him than ever before. And you know what? God will give the increase according to his will. And our church will be blessed either way. If you're a member of this church, you're to be a, a unifying member. Let's read that psalm one more time. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It's like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard that went down to the skirts of his garments. And as the dew of Hermon, 
and as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. We're to be unified. If you're here today and you're not a member of our church, maybe you're here and, and you've never experienced the kind of forgiveness I talked about. That those of us that have trusted Christ have experienced. Let me tell you, the change is life-altering. In a way that's greater than the life-altering morning of church when that little cute redhead was sitting in the back row. More life-altering than that. It's wonderful. And if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ, let me tell you what he did for you. Jesus left heaven being God, the fullness of God. He came here to our dirty, disease-ridden, painful world. He lived a perfect life. He shared the gospel everywhere he went. And then he went to a cross to die for you. So that you can be forgiven. And you can have a unified relationship with the Father. If you're here today and you never trusted Christ, well, there's an opportunity to do that today. You can trust Christ, that he did it all, and that the only thing required of you is to follow him.